You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. We're talking about this morning, influence and Jesus. Last week we talked about influence and your things. Previous week we talked about influence and you. You all have influence. I have influence. Coming up, you need to know this, the last Sunday in October, we're going to be talking about influence and social media influence and culture. We're using social media right now in this little exercise, and I'm not going to be speaking that message. I'm glad we have Gordon Pennington with us that weekend to speak. Gordon is an expert in culture and social media. He spoke at mostly all the Ivy League schools in the world, from speaking there and helping the British government to the U.S. government, and used to be the head of marketing for Tommy Hilfiger, so he knows something about marketing and culture and sits on a number of different boards. So he's going to be with us. He's a passionate believer, and he's also passionate, does passionate work in film. He's connected with a lot of, in the film industry, and so he's going to talk about how do we use social media to influence our culture, and he, he gets it. So you're going to be here for that one. Today it's influence in Jesus, and that could really take a month of everyday meeting, and we still wouldn't cover it. So it's a big topic. So who do we got up there? We've got uh, Princess Diana. we got uh, Babe Ruth. All right. We've got Adam and Eve. Yes, they influence history. And we've got uh, King David. We've got uh, Air Jordan, Richard Branson, Einstein, Mother Teresa, Thomas Edison, Spurgeon, Moses. Uh, you guys did pretty good getting some names up there. Uh, so we'll leave it up there just for a little bit longer, <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll uh, <clears throat> just get into the notes. Jesus arguably is the most influential person that ever lived on the planet. When we write the date, we write down really the day of his birth, before or after the day of his birth. That's the one level of his influence on the world. Uh, certainly other people have influenced the world, but nobody like our Lord Jesus. If you go to... Back in history, a historian that was there just during the time and after the time of Jesus, his name was Josephus, and he was the commander of the Jewish forces in Galilee. He was a very thorough historian, and he wrote this about Jesus. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it would be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. The Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. You know, for a long time growing up, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. You know, David Coop, Jesus Christ, Christ was his last name. Then one day somebody taught me that was actually his title, and the light went on. Oh, that's Jesus the anointed one, or Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior. So he says the Christ, or the Messiah. He's talking about a title when he says the Christ. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. This is an historian who gives credit to the fact that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again on the third day. This is not taken from our scriptures, this is taken from a historian. We could go out throughout history on a timeline and talk about other people that said Jesus had an amazing effect on the course of history. We could talk about Roman governors, we could talk about Roman emperors. One Roman emperor had a lot against 
Jesus and Christianity. He said this, Julian the Apostate, this is around 360 some AD. He said, Jesus has now been celebrated about 300 years, having done nothing in his lifetime worthy of fame, unless anyone thinks it's a very great work to heal lame and blind people and exercise demoniacs in the villages of Bethsaida and Bethany. But at the end of his life, he was forced to say about Jesus, thou hast conquered, O Galilean. Napoleon Bonaparte, he was a great conqueror. He certainly had a great effect in the history of the world. And he had this to say, you speak of Caesar, of Alexander, of their great conquests and of the enthusiasm which they kindled in the hearts of their soldiers. But can you conceive of a dead man making conquests with an army faithful and entirely devoted to his memory? My armies have forgotten me while they're living. I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. I search in vain history to find something similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it or explain it. Here everything is extraordinary. Jesus is extraordinary. We could talk about others as well. Here's a fellow who was the president of the American Historical Society, and he had this to say. It is evident of his importance his being Jesus, of the effect that he had upon history and presumably of the baffling mystery of his being that no other life ever lived on this planet has evoked so huge a volume of literature among so many people and languages, and that far from ebbing, the flood continues to mount. As the centuries pass by, the evidence is accumulating that, is, that measured by its effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. The influence appears to be mounting. No other life lived on this planet has so widely and deeply affected mankind. Also in your notes, I have a, the quote, one solitary life. We don't know who the author is, but it talks about how Jesus came from an obscure village and impacted the world. You guys got a lot more names up there. You got Nelson Mandela, Chuck Norris, okay, Oprah, uh, and... Uh, Steve Jobs, absolutely, Martin Luther, Hitler, okay, you guys got a number of, Walt Disney, a number of great names up there. All people that affected the course of history, but none has changed the course of history like our Lord Jesus. So let's go into our notes this morning, and we can take that down. Why or what did Jesus do to influence the world? I think we can learn from him because every one of us has influence. If you're a dad, you have influence. If you're a mom, you have influence. If you employ somebody, you have influence. If you're a coach, if you're on a committee, if you serve somewhere, you have influence. If you, if you go buy your coffee every morning at the same J.J. Beans or Starbucks or wherever, and you get to know that person, you have influence there. If you, if you have contracts with different suppliers, you know them. You have influence with them. So we live in a world, really, that we have influence. I think our Lord would be honored if we said, how did you do it? I want to copy you. If a boy says to his dad, dad, I want to copy you, I want to do it just the way you did it, it honors, the, honors that dad. And if we say to our Lord, Lord, I want to copy you, I want to influence my world the way you influence the world. 
I'm going to give you a fire hose. I'm just going to blast a lot of information, 10 bullet points this morning, but I hope one of them kind of sticks with you and you can take it away and say, you know what, I could apply that to my sphere of influence today. So here we go. Number one, how did he influence his work? He prayed and he obeyed. You're filling in the notes where it's prayed and obeyed. This is really the headwaters of how he influenced the world. We know from the life of Jesus that he regularly went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He regularly went up on the mountain to pray. He had a relationship with the Father. That relationship wasn't just, God, can you do this for me? That relationship was, always a two, was also a two-way street. The day he was water baptized, the Father spoke from heaven, and he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus needed encouragement from the Father. We need encouragement from the Father. He hadn't even started his ministry, but the Father was saying, this is my Son whom I'm well pleased. That's one of the things that draws me into a relationship with the Father is the way that he loves us, the way that he treats us. Jesus had this intimate relationship with the Father. Everything was birthed from the Father. He says, I'm going to just do what the Father asked me to do. How did he influence the world? He did what the Father asked him to do. He was in prayer. He prayed about who his disciples would be. It says in Luke 22, verse 42, he said, uh, that's not the one. This is him praying for direction in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will, not mine. So there was this obedience in his prayer life. He prayed for his disciples. He also prayed for us. In John 17, verse 20, it says, I am not praying only for these disciples. This is his, his great prayer near the end of his life. I'm not just praying for my disciples. Look at this but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. Guess what? That's you and me. Jesus prayed for you and I, just like he prayed for his disciples. Wow, he was praying for others. See, how do I influence my world the way Jesus influenced them? Pray for other people. Pray for them. He would get up early in the morning and he'd go pray for the crowds. He'd pray for his disciples. He prayed for those that he was in contact with. Maybe that person who serves you a coffee every morning where you get your coffee or where you go for lunch or that supplier that you deal with that they know you by name, they see you come and say, hey, Dave, how is it going? How's your week going? That's your sphere of influence. So we begin to pray for that person. Pray for the, st the stuff that's going through in their life as you get to know them. We pray for our children and our sphere of influence. We pray for our people in our building, that's your sphere of influence. Uh, the person who opens the door for you, the person who rides the elevator with you, that, that's your sphere of influence. How did the Lord influence the world? He prayed for people. And he went to the Father and he said, Father, what do you want me to do? And he obeyed. This is the greatest key to influence the world. Pray for others and obey the Father. Very simple but powerful. Number two, what did he do? How did he influence the world? Jesus was willing to risk his public image as he led the way. He was willing to look foolish. Any great leader who does something is willing to risk that, that capital, if you like, of their life for what they're doing. So they're willing to say, you know what, if I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Somebody put up there Nelson Mandela, and Nelson Mandela was somebody who really took a risk. After spending 20-some years in jail, in the 1990s released, and you know the story of apartheid, and, and he... He risked his political capital to, if you saw the movie Invictus, he, he, he risked his political capital to uh, endorse the Springboks. The blacks, they didn't want the Springboks. We said, no, no, we can, we can heal our nation through this. And at one point in the movie, the gal says, 
you're going you're gonna to destroy your leadership. He said, no, this is what I came to do. If I can't do this, I shouldn't be leading. And through that, he risked, took that big risk, but as a result of it, the nation came together. It's an inspiring story of Nelson Mandela, how he brought a nation together. But there was a risk, and he, he took a risk to look foolish in public. In John chapter 6, 66, we read, Jesus' speech made many of the disciples go back. What he said, he took a risk to say what he said. You can read the speech in John chapter 6. What he told the people was this, in a nutshell. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. Now, how many know you just go, oh, wait a minute, that just grosses me right out. We are not cannibals. And they're just, they just, and he went on to explain it. But what he said was so strong, just took him off guard. <clears throat> and they said, we're not going to follow you. He risked it. He risked his message that I am the Messiah. You, if you take, he wasn't talking literally eat his flesh. He says, if you will take my life, you will have life. But you have to absorb my life. The disciples said, he said to his disciples, you guys want to go too? And they said, oh, no, we got nowhere else to go. I think we'll just hang out with you. They'll, we'll stay. But he lost everybody else for a moment. But he was willing to risk his reputation, if need be, for what the Father told him to do. That's why that prayer piece is so important. In her book, Jesus CEO, which is, I think, a recommended book to read by Lori Beth Jones, she asked this question, what do each of these characters have in common? A deluded engineer, a magician, a waiter, a nudist, a beggar, a lunatic, a harem girl, an improper woman, and a blasphemer. What do they all have in common? I'll give you a clue who they are. The deluded engineer is Noah, because they thought he was crazy building the boat. The magician is Moses. He turned water to blood. And the waiter is Nehemiah. He waited on the king. The nudist, you might be surprised to know, was Isaiah. He walked around naked for three years. It's kind of a strange story, uh, but it's there. The beggar is Elijah, who asked the widow for food. The lunatic is King David, who acted insane to escape. The harem girl is Queen Esther. The improper woman is Mary, who conceived a child before marriage. And the blasphemer is Jesus, who claimed, I'm equal with God. All of them risked their image to say something that sounded very foolish. But those who influence the world are not afraid to take a risk of what people think about them to do something for a great cause. As a matter of fact, I think God has little use for people whose main concern is what people think of them. Thirdly, how did Jesus influence the world? Well, he didn't stop or quit when he experienced life's pains. Luke 9, 51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Man, Jerusalem, he wasn't going to, we go to Jerusalem to visit and see the sights. He was going to Jerusalem to die. That was his execution. It says he steadfastly set his face. Another translation says he set his face as flint. He said, I must do this. Was it hard? Absolutely. Was his life easy? No. Did friends betray him? Yes. Did his family say, we don't want anything to do with you because what you're doing is too radical for us? Yes. Later on, they said, that was brilliant. Have you ever done something? And at the time, people said, that, that's the craziest idea. But a few years later, they come out, that was brilliant, man. 
I, I, I knew it all along. I knew you'd do it. I knew it was good. And I knew you'd graduate from school. And now that, you're, now that you're doing it, you're successful, everybody wants to jump on the bag way, and they, and they want to have a part of it. But at the time, they thought, no, that's a crazy idea. They stayed away. Ever have somebody say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm right behind you. We had some of those when we started the church. Yeah, I'm right with you. I'm right behind you. And I look back, and they were behind us, all right, like 20 miles behind us. Like, we'll stay back here. Now they kind of scoot right up. Yeah, I knew it all along, Dave. I, I knew it would go, yeah. Jesus had a lot of difficult things in his life, but it didn't stop him from his mission. If we want to be influential in our world, in our family, me, just to have a successful marriage today, how many of you got to go through some bumps and some challenges? He said, no, I'm committed to this. As for me and my house, we are going to be committed to this. I'm committed to my children. I'm committed to my company. I'm committed to this mission. Jesus was influential because he worked through the challenges of life, staying committed. Uh, number three, he knew his mission and he had a passion for it. The word is mission and passion for your notes. John eight fourteen, Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. Now look carefully at this statement here. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going but you don't know this about me. People of influence say, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. That becomes a magnet. There's so many people that are double-minded, confused, or whatever. They're looking for somebody who knows the way. And Jesus says, I know the way. Now, in our class on a membership, the equipping-based class, one of the classes we do a profile called Your Shape, and it talks about your spiritual gifts, it talks about your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. That makes up the shape. And when we know where we came from, Jesus left all the privileges of heaven to come serve, and we, we look at our shape, it's a little bit different. We look at our successes, we look at our failures, and we say, okay, this is where I came from, and this is where I'm going. Have you noticed that God even uses your messes for the good later on in life. You may have messed up and you had a failure here. What happens? He sets you up to help somebody else who had the same failure. He says, okay, I'm going to manage that really well, and I'm going to help you to help somebody else who has the same problem. That's the way he does it. And Jesus said, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. And when we know where we're going, that's how we influence the world. It's important we pray because we want to have his idea and where to go. We have great ideas. You ever heard somebody say, that's a million-dollar idea? You got a million-dollar idea. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble, but actually that, that, that idea is not worth a million dollars. It's worth one dollar. The plan to implement the idea, that's worth the million because there's a lot of great ideas floating around there. But if you can't implement the plan, run with it, it's not worth much. Jesus had a great plan, but he also was passionate about implementing that plan. Leaders have a mission, and they have a passion. You want to study leadership? Study Jesus. Does that make sense? I think we can establish he's the greatest influencer in the entire course of history. And if you take great leadership books, all you do is you just go to the headwaters. And say, oh, every great leadership principle, you can say, yep, Jesus did that. Yep, Jesus did that. He modeled leadership for us. We need to lead like never before. There's a world that's looking for leaders that have clarity on where they're going. They want to be a part of that. In your homes, in your workplace, your community. Number five, what did he do? He spent time, or he picked his team, I should say, first of all, and he carefully spent the majority of his time with them. 
Look at Luke 6, 12 and 13. One day, soon after Jesus went to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Why is Jesus praying all night? What's on his heart? What's so important to Jesus that he doesn't sleep that night, that he stays up praying all night? What keeps you up all night praying? What would make you pray all night? What would be so heavy in your heart? You say, I can't sleep till I pray this through. What he had to pray through was who's going to be on my team. Who are the disciples that I need to have on my team? So he prayed all night for that. There's a suggestion for us right there in great leadership. John Maxwell is a great leader, and he's a great author on leadership. And his comment once in one of his messages was this, when you're looking for people on your team, pray to God that he gives you winners. Look for winners. A lot of wisdom in that little statement. What did Jesus do? That night he spent the night in prayer saying, God, who should be on my team? There's a lot of people out there, but who do you want to be with me on this key team? And then he chose the 12 of them. And uh, he alone knew that he wasn't going to change the world. He needed a team. And he spent the majority of his time with these guys. When you read the Gospels, you're not sure, well, did he, did he spend most of his time, you know, multiplying the loaves and fishes and healing people? Or what did he spend most of his time with? There was a study done, and if you study the, the Gospels, you find that there's 17 cases of him with the public, but 46 times he's with the team on the boat, teaching his disciples. So he spent the majority of the time with the key leaders. Good leaders spend the majority of their time with their key leaders, and Jesus modeled this for us. Uh, number six, got to blaze through these. How else did he model leadership? He modeled servant leadership. Mark chapter 10, 43 to 45. But among you, we could say among us, it should be quite different. It should be quite different. He's about to say, uh, Coastal Church, can I get your attention for a sec? I, I, it, it should be different for you guys. It should be quite different. I, I'm going to tell you a different way to influence and to lead. And guess what? The world wants a different way. Just watch what's happening on Wall Street. Watch what happened in Edmonton, Toronto. Vancouver. There are people that are marching. They don't even know why they're marching. They don't even really know what they want, but I don't want this model of leadership where it's get all I can and suppress somebody else. I, I don't want that. I want something else, but I just know I don't want that kind of leadership. And Jesus is saying, well, among us, it should be quite different. Let me explain to you how to do it. Here he goes. Whoever wants to be a leader, whoever wants to have influence among you must get all the money they can, get a better wage, and keep it all to themselves. No. Whoever wants to be, have influence needs to have the biggest number of people on their Facebook and have more people linked into them than anybody else. That's how you're going to do it. Whoever wants to be the greatest leader needs to step on everybody else on their way to the top. No, it says, whoever wants to be a leader or have influence must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. I think, folks, that right there is one of the God's greatest keys on how Jesus influenced the world. He was like, I left all the privileges of heaven. He had all the privileges. He says, I'm going to leave it all aside. I want to wash your feet. Now, the way I've washed your feet, I left the head of the table 
I got a towel. I washed your feet. That was the custom of the day because their feet would get dirty walking in the streets. And I washed your feet. What I've done, you do. You want influence? Wash feet. Serve others. Influence your family? Serve them. Influence the people that you work with? Serve them. Yeah, but I might get taken advantage of. It's not a might. You will. We will get taken advantage of. But at the end of the day, you're going to find they won't forget it. You'll find that that will rise to the top. There's a great book called Joy in the Workplace written by uh, Dennis Bakke. Revolutionized. That studied, my sister works at McGill University in the MBA program. They use it as one of their textbooks. He's a brilliant Christian leader. Became a billionaire with this model of leadership. Serving that way. Much more could be said about it. A lot has been written about servant leadership. Jesus modeled it, gave us that example. Uh, number seven, he empowered his followers. He, had a, he gave them a vision of something bigger than themselves. To the guys who fished, he said, fishing's good. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, to the woman at the well, he said, you're thirsty? Follow me and you'll never thirst again. He gave them a vision of something bigger, but then he also empowered them. Empowering people is kind of a buzzword in the business world today, but Jesus modeled way back when. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, we say, we read, One day Jesus called together his 12 apostles, and he what? He gave them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Folks, these are a bunch of rookies. They're greenhorns. They're, they might still be teenagers, early 20s, and he gives them his authority, he gives them his power. That's like you pulling out your credit card and you run a company, you go out and hire a bunch of new staff, you guys say, you know what? I'm gonna believe in you and I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm gonna give you authority. We're working with uh, building this center of arts and technology here in Vancouver. And one of the things that astounded me was they bring in, when we looked at the other models, they would bring in students that were brand new, and they would entrust them with expensive camera equipment. They'd entrust them with this other stuff. My first question to Bill Strickland was like, um, don't they steal this stuff? He goes, no, we've never had any go missing. We don't have any camera systems. We don't have any security system. He said, the way you trust people is to trust people. And no matter who they are, if you, if you build an environment of trust, you can trust people with your things. And Jesus empowered his followers. He's empowered you and I, not just his disciples. He's empowered us. He gave them authority. He's given us authority. He gave them his name. He's given us his name. That name is a great name to have. See, when we come to God, we say, God, I accept what you've done for me, and I, I want what Jesus has done for me. We get adopted into the family. We, we're called sons. We're called daughters. We call him father. It's a great privilege to call him father. Well, when, when you get to call him father, you get your father's family name. And Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. Let's say I'm an I'm a, I'm a 18-year-old teenager. I never had a dad. And uh, Bill and Melinda Gates say, let's adopt David Kenneth. So they adopt me into their family. And I pick up a new name, David Kenneth Gates. I get the family name. And uh, I, gotta, I would really like to get a new car. So I walk down to the local Ferrari store, 
And uh, I walk in there, and man, I like that red Ferrari. It's only worth $300,000, but I like that red Ferrari. And, and the salesman says, who is this guy? He's tire kicking. I know he doesn't have the money to pay for it. Let's just kind of brush him off. And eventually the salesman comes around and says, uh, can I help you, sir? I say, yeah, I mean, look at mine. I'd like to take this Ferrari for a test drive. He goes, yeah, right. Um, what's your name? Uh, David Kenneth Gates. What was that? David Kenneth Gates. Oh, are you related by any chance to uh, a Bill Gates? Yeah, he adopted me. Oh, how could we help you? <laughs> I'm interested in putting this on my credit card. Well, yes, absolutely. Let's, it would change the whole scenario because of what? The name. Now, that pales in comparison to what God gave us when he gave us his name. The Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us his name. And our Lord says, ask anything of my name, and the Father will do it for you. You ever have one of those bank accounts where you got two signatures in your business? you got to sign it, and somebody else has to sign it. The banks won't even clear it. They'll send it back to you unless you have the two signatures. That's kind of the way it is when we go to the Father to ask him. We sign our request, and then it goes to Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, he always lives to make intercession for us. He co-signs it. When I was 17, I went to the bank to buy a car, didn't have the money, so I took my dad with me. The banker looked and said, who are you? How much money do you have? I had $500. The car was a lot more than that. I said, wait, you got Henry with you. Henry, are you co-signing this? I had to sign. My dad signed because my dad signed. The bank said, no problem. You got the loan. When Jesus looks at your request, he sees you don't have anything in your account, but Jesus is signing it. He goes, Jesus got everything. No problem. It's going to clear. Wow, we have the family name. He's empowered us. Great leaders empower those around them. Enough said about that one. Let's move on to, uh, oh boy, I'd like to talk more about that, but uh, let's just go on to number eight. Jesus had a way of keeping it simple, and he made it relevant. If I said the word Nike, what statement comes to mind when I say the word Nike? Just do it. Why? Because they made it simple. They made it understandable, and it stuck with us. Great influencers make it simple, and they make it relevant. Look at Matthew 13, 34 in your notes. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like those when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never, he never spoke to them without using such parables. Jesus is brilliant. He's a rabbi. He's smart. He's, but he's not talking over their heads. I could come up here this morning and talk to you for my doctorate degree and say, okay, this morning I could put on my lower voice in King James English and we could communicate a message and you'd leave it. I have no idea what he talked about. Sound impressive, but I have no clue what that was all about and certainly didn't apply to my life. That's not the way Jesus communicated. He talked in parables. He, he talked about nature. He talked about the sower sowing the word. Or he talked about the marketplace. He talked about the unjust manager, a manager who didn't take good care of what was entrusted to him. He talked about parties. He talked about a wedding. He talked about a, a party where everybody, where they sent out invitations and not everybody came. And people got it because he made it relevant. He, he wanted them to understand. It was truth. Truth alone doesn't set us free. 
It's the truth we know that sets us free. You could have the Bible on your bookshelf. You could have the Bible on your iPhone. You could have the Bible memorized. But unless you really know it in your heart, it doesn't set you free. And our Lord's purpose, one of the reasons he influenced the world was he took truth and he made it understandable for us. He said, the law, pretty long and pretty complicated. Let me simplify it for you. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbors yourself and you'll fulfill it all. That's brilliant. He took stuff and made it simple. Why did Steve Jobs do so good? He took complex things, made it simple. I was in the bookstore the other day, and there was a book on the way Steve Jobs communicated. On one column was the way he could have said it, and the other column was the way he did say it. When that thin uh, Apple computer came out, he, he said, smallest, thinnest computer. And then on the other side, he had all the ways that he could have said it. But it was just so simple. Oh, okay. I can get that. The operating system was simple, empowering people. Great leaders keep it simple and relevant. Well, what else? Number nine, he saw the hidden talents of the overlooked. That's why most of us are here today. <laughs> he sees us. Maybe somebody else would have passed by, but Jesus says, I see a diamond in the rough. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is... Uh, He's not liked by the town because he collects money and he, he always puts some in his own pocket. And Jesus comes into Jericho. Zacchaeus gets up on a tree to see him. He's not very tall. And he says, Zacchaeus, i got to come to your house today. And Zacchaeus jumps down. He says, oh, great. Jesus, come to my house. He goes to his house and talks with Jesus. And he voluntarily says, under the influence of Jesus, he says, Jesus, what I've been doing hasn't been right. I'm going to give half I own to the poor. It's, it's a town called Jericho. Just before this, Jesus comes into town, and there's a guy, blind, a beggar named Bartimaeus. He, no welfare, no social system like we have, and he was begging for money. Jesus heals him. His next stop is Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus says, boy, you've touched my heart. I'm not living right. I have to help the poor. Jesus leaves town, but that town was never the same because of the influence of Jesus. People would have overlooked Zacchaeus and said, you know what, he thinks he's better than us, he lives in a better house than us, he's got this attitude because he's wealthy and he's empowered by the government. God could never use him, but Jesus doesn't overlook him. That whole town is revolutionized. Bartimaeus now has help. Who gave money to Bartimaeus? Zacchaeus. He, 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 he saw people that others didn't see. His his. His disciples were fishermen, uh, a tax collector, a political zealot. And he said, you know what? I see something in you. And he sees something in every one of us. He says, spend time with me. There's something big on the inside of you. Leaders with influence are not afraid to discover hidden, hidden talents in others. He was a great scout for talent and still is today. Number 10, are you still with me? All right. The last one is he loved his followers. It's a good place to stop. If you want to have influence, you have to love the people around you. Jesus, John 17, 26, it says, I have made your name known to them, and I'll make it known so that the love you have for me will be in them, and I'll be in them. Matthew 14, 14, and Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Why did Jesus influence the world? Because he wasn't moved for 
more things. He wasn't moved for more power. He wasn't moved for more pleasure. The three things that trap people are power, possession, and pleasure. For guys, we say glitter, gals, and gold. Just go down through history. It's been glitter, gals, or gold that trap people. That's not what moved Jesus. It was a heart for the people. And when we have a sincere heart for the people, people pick up on it, and it influences the world. He forgave. He believed in them. He wanted to be with them. Boy, time is running out. I wish I had time to talk about how he believed in women. He liberated women. Search the world. Find a country where women have, lib- have had been, there's been liberty for them, equal rights, and you'll find Christianity typically is in the root of it. Take Christianity out of the picture, and you'll find often oppressed, treated second-class citizens. Jesus didn't do that with the woman at the well. Should he have been talking to her as a man? But he talked to her, embraced her, loved her. The woman caught an act of adultery, stood up for her. The Bible says in Christ is neither male nor female, free or slave, we're equal in Christ. That's why he influenced the world, because he loves us. He loves you today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.